This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, and we're very pleased to be joined today by Councilman Richie Torres of the Bronx. Thanks for coming. Honored to be here. We want to talk about uh, NYCHA, the nation's oldest, largest, and bestest uh, public housing network. Yeah. And curious, first of all... I would argue affordable housing network. Uh, how do you assess, in general, uh, the stewardship thus far of Chairman Olatoye and Mayor de Blasio of the city's public housing? What kind of a grade do you give them? Complicated. Um, here, here's what I will say. The mayor and the chairperson both have their hearts in the right place. And the mayor has made far more investments in NYCHA than his predecessors did, and, and real investments. I mean, NYCHA has received upward of $600 million in operating funds from the city when you factor in the NYPD payments, the pilot payments, the Section 8 recapitalization, which was made possible by bond financing from the city, from HDC. Um, so the city has, been, has never been a stronger supporter of the Housing Authority, and the mayor is no longer treating NYCHA as separate and apart from the rest of city government. NYCHA is deep, more deeply integrated into the day-to-day -day operations of city government. You know, ha having said that, being better than everyone else is not the same as being good enough. And I feel like we can make even more investments than we have. So, you know, the mayor has a $41 billion housing plan, and it consists of $8 billion for private affordable housing, whereas NYCHA is receiving only $300 million over the next five years. So there's a tale of two housing plans, and the housing plan for public housing uh, has much less public support. Does that come into public subsidy? Does that come into budget conversations? I mean, is that something you're pushing? Is it? Are you yelling into the wind? I mean, is there is there a push for reallocation of funds or? God. We could invest, I think we can invest far more than $100 million a year. Um, you know, if we can, there seems to be more money coming out of places. I mean, we're, we're about to infuse $2 billion into HHC. And, you know, if we have $2 billion for a streetcar, we should have $2 billion for roofs in public housing. There are about 2,000 roofs in public housing that are either at or beyond their shell life. So NYCHA ranks roofs on a scale of one to five. And three is where you're at your shell life, four and five are roofs that desperately need to be replaced. So there are about 2,000 roofs that need to be replaced. You know, $2 billion could replace 2,000 roofs in public housing. And when you replace the roof, you're addressing one of the root causes of never-ending mold and leaks in apartments. But, but instead, we're investing $2 billion in a streetcar, right? And I think the problem is a political one, is that it's not... Politicians love shiny objects. Well, all politicians do. And replacing roofs for poor people is neither sexy nor shiny. And so the political incentive for a billion-dollar investment in NYCHA is lacking, uh, both at the state and city level. I, I, I and, would... Yeah. Go ahead. And then on one point, you know, in partnership with Scott Stringer, you know, we had a proposal for... Because what NYCHA needs above all else is a dedicated funding stream. You know, rather than continually lobbying Albany and City Hall for $100 million, what if we could have a, bond, a, bond, a funding stream that was bondable and was available to NYCHA in perpetuity? 
right? And so Scott Stringer proposed the Battery Park Authority, and it needs the approval of three people, the Comptroller, uh, the Governor, and the Mayor. And of the three, the only elected official opposed to the Battery Park Authority as a funding stream for NYCHA is the Mayor. Uh, and that's something that, uh, that's a strong point of disagreement between City Hall and me. Um, and I saw a few weeks ago that NYCHA issued a statement against the use of Battery Park Authority uh, funds as a revenue stream for NYCHA. And, you know, for, for NYCHA to oppose Battery Park funds for its own agency, it strikes me as a... Do you have a sense of the rationale there? Uh, I mean, you know, NYCHA, I guess NYCHA feels it has to be in sync with City Hall, but, you know, your obligation is not to City Hall first and foremost. Your obligation is to the residents of public housing. Right? You're, you're an authority with a board. You have a fiduciary responsibility to public housing residents, uh, and you should not, the housing authority should not be speaking out against proposals that would bring more revenue to public housing. An area where you and City Hall have generally been in agreement, or at least on the same page, yeah. is around what some people refer to as the infill program. Yeah. Next Gen Neighborhoods, I think, is one of the official names for it. Uh, you have broadly supported that effort. Yeah. You've taken issue with how, uh, kind of how it was rolled out, the public engagement process yeah. around parts of it. Uh, where do you feel that effort stands? Do you feel the engagement has improved in the in light of your your criticisms? There has been far more engagement under Mayor de Blasio than there was under the previous administration. But there remains deeply rooted distrust of, and understand the, the, the opposition to infill is, it comes in multiple forms, right? Part of it is philosophical, right? There are people like Vic Bach, who, and if I'm misrepresenting your views, I apologize, Vic, <laughs> but who, who believe philosophically that public housing land should be used for public purpose, particularly affordable housing. And that's a legitimate viewpoint. And so those are people who, for doctrinal reasons, will oppose uh, infill development on public housing. Um, and then there are residents who see, who are deeply distrustful of NYCHA, deeply distrustful of government, and understandably so because NYCHA and the government has failed them, and see infill as a nefarious plot to displace them from their homes. Right? Uh, and so the question is, how do you win the trust of public housing residents? And as far as I'm concerned, you win it not by engaging them in community resident engagement sessions. That, that will only get you so far. But it's about making demonstrable improvements in their living conditions. And if I, if I had been mayor, I would have made capital improvements in those developments first before developing on public housing land. Because to have a dilapidated public housing building juxtaposed with a new market rate development, uh, you're creating a visual tale of two cities. So I am supportive of infill, not as a public good, but as a tragic necessity. I see it as a necessity for NYCHA's survival. That NYCHA, NYCHA's capital need is so overwhelming that the housing authority has no choice but to exhaust every conceivable means of generating revenue, including revenue from its own land. You know, that's, it's interesting you brought that up because what I was going to say before is you you made a comparison to the streetcar, and I was going to say, you know, the funding mechanism for the streetcar is is that they're saying it's actually not going to cost the city any yeah. new money, they're going to use value capture, you know. So the infill program is almost a similar funding mechanism, right, is using some of the value of the existing asset 
to to pay for for new you know affordable housing uh, and and capital improvements so there's some comparison there because I was going to sort of quibble with the idea that they're throwing this money at the streetcar. I'm you picking know. on the streetcar. Yeah. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I, I can easily pick on the governor, right? right. He has 100. My, I was making a more general point. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not opposed to the streetcar. But what is why politicians are more inclined to support a renovation of Penn Station or the creation of a streetcar than replacing roofs for poor people, right? Like a streetcar is just more sexy, it's shinier. It, it makes for a better legacy. And they said that even um, people that, asked why not it, new it, buses. It, it, it was not it was not a commentary about Mayor de Blasio or Governor Cuomo. It's a commentary about the incentives of politics, the incentives built into politics. And no matter who's mayor, um, you'll always have a stronger inclination to do these sexy, big infrastructure projects rather than pointing bricks and replacing roofs in public housing. So so that's that's a political challenge that we face. And securing the, state and city funds. The tragic necessity, as you, as you put it, of uh, the Next Gen Neighborhoods program is to generate money, obviously, to fill yeah. the substantial gaps NYCHA faces. And there are projections about how much money it will, over time, generate um, that differ somewhat from uh, the Bloomberg version, which was a different program. Uh, recent months, the NYCHA chair has updated the council on where Next Gen NYCHA stands. And some of the predictions in terms of cost savings and revenue generation, um, uh, well, the, the reality hasn't matched them. The numbers have come in lower than expected. Um, does well, that no, no numbers have come in because we have not developed on public housing. Oh, I mean, but some of the other elements of next gen. Yes, you that's know, the, true. The yes. rent uh, increase yes, in rent yes. collections, the, the uh, cost yes. savings yes. in terms of yes. management structure. A lot of that has not been the savings or generated the revenue that was predicted. Does that give you pause about the overall next-gen plan? Do we think that infill will actually generate the kind of money they're saying it will? To your broader point about projections, I mean, NYCHA should be careful not to put numbers that appear questionable, because if, 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 the, actual, if the actual numbers fall well short of the projections, again, it's going to raise questions about the credibility of the Housing Authority and the credibility of next-gen. Now, specifically on infill, you could make projections on the amount of revenue that you generate, but it's impossible to tell, right? It depends on the state of the housing market, right? If we have a recession in the next year or two, I suspect that's going to have an impact on the amount of revenue that we generate from infill. So it, it is impossible to know. NYCHA has projections in next-gen somewhere between 200 and $600 million, but it could be much lower than $200 million, or it could be much higher than $600 million. Um, if, if I remember correctly from the hearing back in February, NYCHA testified that there might be as many as 80 sites, and mm-hmm. these are estimates, yes, yes. that lend themselves to infill development, and that NYCHA's analysis was targeting about 40 of them. Where does the federal government fit in here? You know, you obviously were making public housing part, trying trying to and succeeding in making public housing part of the discussion when the yeah. Democratic um, primary debate was coming to Brooklyn and coming to New York City. Um, what's your sense of of should New York City even be really thinking about the federal government at this point in, in terms of funding for NYCHA? You know, what we, we what are your develop, hopes? Right, we should. We should have a strategic plan that prepares for every eventuality, that assumes the worst-case scenario. But at the same time, we should advocate for more federal funding. The federal government is indispensable. Right? We cannot preserve public housing without a robust role from the federal government. That's the reality. 
there's only so much support that the city can provide, there's only so much support that the state can provide. Ultimately, public housing is a federal obligation. And what I worry is that does NYCHA have an outside game? Has, has NYCHA done enough to engage stakeholders like elected officials, like tenant advocates, like advo progressive advocacy organizations, and build a constituency for public housing that can lobby for more funds in, 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 in Washington? Um, and as far as I know, there's been no outside game. And if you have no outside game, you have no real hope for securing more funds for public housing at the federal level. Because it's not going to come easily. It will only come under extraordinary pressure and organizing. Do you think that that's feasible given the political situation in Washington now? Republican control of the House and Senate. Even a good outside game would have uh, a heck of a time trying to squeeze more money out of them just given their general view of, of government. Yes. So you have Republicans who would rather see public housing disappear from the face of the earth than... Um, but it's not even a priority for the Democratic Party, right? So how do we make it a priority for the Democratic Party? And, you know, Donald Trump might be a game-changing phenomenon in favor of the Democrats. You might have Democratic control of the Senate, and we might come closer to Democratic control of the House of Representatives. So I would not take it for granted that funding for public housing is impossible to achieve in Washington. It might be more within reach than we realize. Look, if we tell ourselves that federal funding is out of reach, then it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? I think the point of organizing, the point of progressive organizing, is to expand our sense and our boundaries of what is possible. Even short of effective lobbying on the federal level, which, um, you know, not to judge it as a goal or not, but even short of that, would better organizing among NYCHA tenants have more of an impact on the city level? Do you, or, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, what's I your... Mean, I would argue that I think the, the staying power of any government program is best explained not by its purpose, but by, its, by the powerful interest behind it, by its constituency. And if, if, if a program has a politically powerful constituency, it's going to have a greater share of the city, state, and federal budget. Uh, that tends to be the dynamic that unfolds in politics. I'm not familiar with NYCHA voting patterns. So that's the problem, is, is that in public housing, you have one of the lowest rates of voter participation. There is a crisis of civic disengagement. And so there's no fear of public housing residents as a political constituency. In the same, you know, there's a there's a powerful constituency for rent regulation, for real rent reform. There's a powerful constituency for private affordable housing, developers who have a stake in it, but there's no comparable constituency for public housing. Um, and you know, the residents who live in public housing are poor, don't have a a political action committee or an independent expenditure, and so there is no incentive for the political establishment to care about public housing, unless you're an elected official like me who cares about it out of internal motivation. Sometimes uh, you run into a question where NYCHA residents themselves are divided. In fact, many questions, and Phil being one of them. One topic that I have seen that on is the NYCHA policy of excluding people who've been convicted of a crime. Uh, you know, we've done stories about people who feel as though their families have been torn asunder, faced with an impossible choice, really feel the policy has been wielded too broadly. 
On the other hand, the administration is criticized for not following through with exclusions of people who've been convicted of more serious crimes. What do you think is the happy medium or unhappy medium when it comes to excluding people who've been convicted from NYCHA? And do you feel that's where the city is now? I think you're right. There seems to be diametrically opposed views of permanent exclusions, right? To, to NYCHA, permanent exclusion is, is a shield that protects public safety, that preserves the tenancy of the overall household. But to many advocates and to some residents, it's more of a sword that, that NYCHA uses as a pretext for discarding due process. I do believe there is something of a happy medium. You know, NYCHA could, and every agency is loath to give up power, and NYCHA is no exception, but NYCHA could first release more data about permanent exclusions and the kind of cases um, that NYCHA is pursuing um, in terms of permanent exclusions. I think there is a lack of information, so that would be a strong start. A second list, the kinds of cases or the kinds of offenses to which permanent exclusion should never apply, right? It should never apply to minor offenses, and, and that should just be a rule, um, and that should be a publicly available rule. So I think that's, that, that can be a point of consensus, is to list the offenses to which um, permanent exclusions is no longer applicable. What's your, what's your sense, I mean, you know, sort of related to, to that, but also related to the voting question and the political potency question, you know, what's, what's your sense of, um, you know, leaky roofs are one thing, but then there's also access to job programs and, and you know, yeah. encouragement around education and, and some of these other things that, um, you know, are part of the picture of helping people who are struggling, you know, struggle less what's your you know what's the sense of the rounder picture there? challenges are overwhelming because even if we were able to secure magically secure 17 billion dollars from the federal government to close to address the overall capital need um, we've only accomplished part of the mission um, you know how do we make these neighborhoods more upwardly mobile that's that should be the end game and the truth is that if you live in a neighborhood like Brownsville Brooklyn you have a life expectancy that is 11 years lower than the life expectancy in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So it's not enough to improve the brick and mortar. How do we create uh, opportunities for public housing residents? How do we improve their access to fresh food, improve their access to transit, improve their access to quality education? And there's no panacea. Each, each set of problems has its own set of solutions. Um, but for me, um, Right, the, the the most urgent priority is to ensure that these buildings remain livable. And is so much attention because they've been allowed to fall in such disrepair? Is the amount of tension on that really sort of not allowing for much air to be given elsewhere? You know, or I don't know every hearing you've had, yeah. or you know, yeah, just like just like funds are scarce, so is time. So more time spent on on the bricks and roofs is less time spent on. How do we create economic opportunity for public housing residents? So it does drain energy that I wish we could spend on strategies for improving social mobility and public housing. Kind of a final question, I think. Um, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> depending on where it goes. You disagree with me. <laughs> what? Oh, no, final question. Okay, okay. Maybe on the final question. Maybe, maybe <laughs> final question. Um, 
you alluded to this earlier, we have this $41 billion affordable housing plan, $8 billion of it is city money, the rest is private money to be leveraged. Mm -hmm. And that, with the exception actually of the infill next-gen neighborhoods program, that is treated as a separate issue from, from NYCHA. And I'm wondering why you think that is. Why, why is this often treated as sort of two different conversations? You have the affordable housing that HPD takes care of and that we talk about when we mean the affordable housing plan, and then you have NYCHA. Um, from what do you think that stems, and do you think that that is uh, an obstacle, uh, and is there a way to surmount it? Not without investment in organizing public housing. I, I think the, NYCHA's primary, I think NYCHA's core challenge is not a funding challenge. It's not uh, even a, it's, it's not even an operational challenge, although NYCHA needs to manage itself most efficiently. Ultimately, it's a political challenge, is that what we lack is a powerful constituency for public housing, right? Um, which is one of the arguments for RAD. So uh, under the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program, um, a public housing authority like NYCHA would have the ability to convert from Section 9, which is public housing, into Section 8. And there's a political difference between the two. Under Section 9, the constituency is exclusively urban, exclusively Democrat, and increasingly and exclusively New York City public sector, right? right? Right, right, And disproportionately New York City. Right? Public housing is far less important elsewhere than it is in New York City, right? So that's a limited constituency. Whereas under Section 8, that it's both Democrat and Republican, bipartisan, both urban and rural, both public sector and private sector, right? It's not only low-income people who have a stake in Section 8, it's developers, it's property managers, right? There's a moneyed, organized, powerful constituency around it. And so RAD not only is not only sensible as a matter of housing finance, it's sensible as a matter of politics. Um, but you can, but not, the whole public housing stock cannot be converted under RAD. So how do you create a powerful constituency for public housing? I think if we can answer that question effectively, we can salvage and sustain public housing into the next generation. But we in the city should be investing far more resources in organizing public housing residents into a more powerful constituency. Do you think it makes sense to spend billions to create new affordable housing if NYCHA's physical and fiscal future is unsettled? Look, we can do both, right? No need to, but I wish we were investing a much larger share of the pie in public housing because unlike most of the units we're creating, public housing is deeply affordable and universally affordable. But more importantly, it's irreplaceably affordable. That once we lose public housing, we'll no longer get it back. And outside... You know, the New, York, the New York City Housing Authority is the largest provider of not only affordable housing, but deeply affordable housing, right? Uh, housing affordable to the poorest New Yorkers. And without Section 8, without public housing, our city would become unaffordable to its poorest residents. Um, you know, outside the context of those two programs, deep affordability barely exists. So we have a, a vested interest in preserving it. And e even if you don't live in public housing, all of us, benefit from the stability that NYCHA provides. You know, if NYCHA were to fail, there is reason to believe that we would have homelessness on a catastrophic scale because most of the people who live in public housing probably would be homeless without it. 
my mother included, myself included, when I was living in public housing. You, and so it's not, I mean, what you just said is pretty definitive, but, you know, part of, of the... I think the numbers bear it out as well. Yeah. You, you, so you, people, maybe people have come to you, but I, I don't know if they have, but people come to you with a plan to phase out NYCHA because this money is just not there and not You coming. cannot phase it out. This is not... This is not like the White Plains Housing Authority, right? There are there, there could be a million people who live in public housing. I remember I was speaking to the sanitation commissioner, and she she believes that the estimates of of the number of people who live in public housing are too conservative. That judging by the sheer amount of waste that is generated, you could have as many as a million people who live in public housing. The honest answer, I don't know. We How know do we that, not know that. We know that there are what about four to five hundred thousand authorized right, residents, right? And then I'm a few hundred thousand more unauthorized residents, right? You cannot phase out a housing stock that is housing a population the size of Boston. So that's not even a conversation worth entertaining. Um, it, it, and we should be proud of NYCHA. NYCHA is not a failure, right? NYCHA is the most successful public housing authority in the country, right? Prude Igo in St. Louis failed so catastrophically that it was demolished within 20 years of its existence. NYCHA has endured for 80 years. It, for me, as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest experiment in affordable housing development our country has ever seen. Right? There is no institution that provides more affordability to more people than the New York City Housing Authority. So far from phasing, out, phasing it out, we should invest in it and we should take pride in it. And there's far more social mobility in public housing than people realize. Um, yes, you have extraordinary stories like Sonia Sotomayor, who went on to become a Supreme Court judge, but you have my own family. You know, my aunt was an employee at NYCHA. You know, she, she was able to move out of public housing. I have an uncle who's a police officer, another uncle who's a Marine, uh, uh, an aunt who's a teacher. Uh, there are many stories of people living in public housing and then eventually moving on to a higher rung in the economic ladder. Let me ask one more. Um, the, this idea of developing NYCHA political potency, the idea of investing more, are your colleagues caring enough? Are your colleagues on the city council, especially it's the... Not, it's, not, it's not a lack of... Cons it's, it's, there, are, there, are, there are more issues to care about than there is time and energy and resources to spend on them. So, you know, each, each, each one of my colleagues has his or her set of priorities. Um, I care about the issue deeply, A, because I'm speaking from a place of personal experience. I grew up in public housing. My mother lives there. But B, it's objectively critical to the stability of our city. Um, for me, NYCHA is one of the great stabilizers and equalizers in New York City. But, but again, I mean, to me, it's, you know, if that's the case, yeah. and we're talking about necessities, we're talking about the things around mold and, and physical health, yep. basic safety, health, should there be a reprioritization? I mean, you, you know, you sort of sound like you're calling for that. But then, sort of, sound like you're, no. We you should know. do more. I, I, I think part of the problem with the city is that we we use the argument we've done more than anyone else. But doing more than everyone else is is not necessarily good enough. We can always do more, right? And so that's the argument you often hear is that we did more than the previous administration. We did more than the previous mayor, the previous council. Yes, but we can do more, and we should do more because the future. A public housing depends on it.